I was seeing headlines constantly of children all over the United States, all over the world that were collapsing while playing these different sports that, and they had no idea that they had a heart condition and they had previously reported symptoms. There were studies that said 72% of them were reporting symptoms that no one attributed to heart disease. And I wanted to do something about that. So I went on to pass legislation in Ohio called Lindsay's Law, which protects student athletes against sudden cardiac arrest through education of coaches, of parents, and the students themselves. Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kalra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable uptakes on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host. Hello, Andy everyone. Kalra, MD. Um, this is a, a unique episode of Parallax. Um, I say that because uh, it's for the first time that we have a non-cardiologist, a non-physician uh, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I felt this was important. I, I felt, um, you know, the, the journey that Parallax has taken um, has um, allowed us the privilege to explore new avenues within cardiovascular medicine. And, you know, patient-centeredness um, is, is becoming key in in the management of cardiovascular diseases and 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 it should become key because you know we are because patients are and patients bestow a lot of trust uh, in our uh, capabilities so um i i think i think it was time for us to start uh doing patient episodes um so i, I couldn't have asked for a better guest uh for uh, this episode to sort of inaugurate this pattern for us um, so we have um, with us Lindsay Davis. Uh, Lindsay Davis is a former Miss Ohio, and uh, she uh, is a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient. Um, she's going to tell us more about her journey. And, um, you know, what's remarkable about Lindsay is that she has utilized um, the platform that she received uh, by virtue of becoming Miss Ohio. So, you know, Lindsay, congratulations on that. And, you know, she had the vision to utilize this as a platform to spread awareness about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a genetically inherited disorder, um, is actually fairly common in, in prevalence. And, you know, we, we're, we're going to talk about um, that a little bit with Lindsay. But, uh, you know, with, without much further ado, Lindsay, welcome and thank you for your time. And I'm so glad that you're doing this on a Friday evening. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm just so excited that you see the importance of um, including patients in your care for uh, these different diseases. So thank you for having me on. It's our pleasure. Look, you know, uh, you know, we were talking offline and, you know, I, I was just I was telling you that we are because patients are and, you know, we are grateful for 
how much trust patients bestow on us and our abilities and capabilities. So, uh, you know, it's, it's extremely important to have a patient voice. And um, so t- tell us about, uh, tell us about yourself, Lindsay, uh, you know, childhood growing up. Um, uh, and how did you got diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Tell us about your journey. Uh, first as a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient? So I was a student athlete my whole life. I was a ballerina. Um, It got to a competitive level. I was dancing seven days a week. Um, Throughout that time, I had been experiencing symptoms such as breathlessness. I couldn't get my heart to calm down. I was super fatigued. Uh, There were a few times I even passed out. the coaches and teachers around me all thought that it was dehydration, a lack of conditioning, that I hadn't eaten enough. And my mom did not accept that answer. She took me to several different physicians. I was diagnosed with asthma. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, pretty much every single thing you could think of besides uh, heart disease. No one thought to look at my heart. And it wasn't until after a dance practice one day that I went home and I collapsed in the hallway. I was taken to the Cleveland Clinic um, where they looked a little bit closer at my heart and discovered that I had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Wow, uh, quite the story. So um, this happened, how, how old were you when, when this incident occurred? I was 17 at that time. So 17. Um, so you know, uh, teenage into young adulthood. And um, uh, it just um, appears that you were seen by, um, you know, a myriad of, of physicians. So boy, that's, that's quite the story. So um, I, I, you know, I think the important message here also is, um, you know, awareness of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy among physicians at large, don't you think? Absolutely. Among physicians and among the people that are around our student athletes, coaches, teachers, people should be aware that although someone may look healthy on the outside, that they're a student athlete, they're the epitome of health, they can be concealing something that could be deadly like HCM. Yeah, so, so continue with, uh, with the Cleveland Clinic journey then. So, so you were diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, you were having these symptoms how long before you actually got the diagnosis? Oh, my gosh, probably 10 years on and off, um, although it definitely did increase after puberty. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very long journey to diagnosis and a lot of misdiagnosis, but I'm just grateful that the Cleveland Clinic was able to find my condition and um, put me on the right treatment path. Yeah, so so tell us about tell us a little bit more about um, about the treatment path. So, what all was um, you know this this obviously would be educational for for other patients listening as well. Um, and you know, I'm I'm hoping that all the cardiologists are are aware of the condition and you know, obviously know what the what the modern treatments are. Um, but tell us a little bit more about your um, interaction. You know, with regard to you know, if you had an obstructive form, if you had a non-obstructive form of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, uh, were you offered um, surgical myectomy? Was that even required? What about, uh, you know, implantable cardiac defibrillators? Um, just, you know, if, if you can delve a little bit more 
into your treatments, uh, I think that'll be helpful for patients and physicians alike. Of course. Well, I have non-obstructive HCM. And um, initially when I was diagnosed, I was prescribed beta blockers. Um, We thought that that would be enough. Uh, I ended up having a lot of edema. So diuretics were then prescribed. And because I was losing uh, minerals, I was then prescribed potassium. And um, I thought that this was going to be enough for my HCM. I was like, wow, I've already had to retire from dance. I have to take all these medications every day. Like now maybe I can live a normal life. And then I started passing out again. Um, I had a couple instances of passing out and my cardiologist thought that it would be uh, a good idea if I was implanted with an ICD. So I was implanted with an ICD. Um, I had that for several years until I had a lead fracture. And then I had uh, that removed and had an SICD implanted. Um, I'm still very symptomatic. We have spoken a little bit about myectomies in the future, but I'm just kind of, um, I'm kind of waiting until I feel it's absolutely necessary, uh, just because I've been through so much, um, with my health, but, um, I feel like we're in a good place now. I've been able to work with my care team and we've come up with the best treatment path for me. And, um, I feel like it's, it's a, a normal life for me now. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, um, you know, obviously incredible to hear and, um, you know, also humbling, uh, to, to learn from you, um, you know, your journey as a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient, it, it could be a, a vexing disease to, to treat, um, you know, as, uh, as you've, as you've experienced and, you know, as you've, you know, been, uh, been kind and, and generous and, and vulnerable enough to, to share your journey with, with all the patients uh, who I'm sure are, are going to benefit tremendously from this conversation. Um, so, you know, t- talk to us about how difficult it is for someone who's has, you know, as young and as healthy and as fit as you are, um, you know, I think I think it, it would be very enlightening and also very humbling for for me as a cardiologist and you know obviously other cardiologists listening how how difficult it is to be on a beta blocker as as a young person. Well, I definitely get very tired from it. Um, there were times when I was first put on it that I wouldn't take it, and I'd get yelled at by my mom. I'd get yelled at by my physicians. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing research on my own and found out exactly why we take beta blockers and how it's extremely important to prolonging my life, essentially. Um, and that's when I was able to take it. I had, I had read news stories about Hank Gathers, who was on a beta blocker, and then he went off the beta blocker. And that's when he unfortunately had his sudden cardiac arrest, um, so as a young patient, it definitely um, does limit some things for me. Um, one Another side effect that I've found that I have with it, um, specifically the one that I take, is there is some impaired memory. Um, and I've actually spoken 
to a cardiologist about that. And he said, there are certain beta blockers that cross the blood brain barrier. So that is something that has kind of bothered me as well. Um, but for the most part, I have no problem taking it. I think it's incredibly important um, to just prolonging everything that I'm doing. Um, yes. So, you know, I think it's, it's a good segue for us to sort of discuss your journey um, into, um, you know, limelight as, as, as Miss Ohio. Now, um, the diagnosis of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy occurred before you became Miss Ohio, right? Um, it did. Yes. So, um, was that something that is, so was that something that spurred you on to pursue this pageant, um, or, or was, was pursuing a pageant, um, you know, so first of all, you know, regardless of HCM, I, I think pursuing a pageant, uh, you know, requires a great deal of, you know, courage, determination and fearlessness. So congratulations for that. Um, but what makes it even more special is that you did not let the diagnosis of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy impede you into pursuing y- your dreams, you know, which I think is very, very empowering for all of us as humans. You know, I think it's, it, it, speaks volumes about human spirit. And, um, uh, I think you, you, you demonstrate the, I mean, you're the, epi- the, the epitome of humanity and human spirit and, and resilience and perseverance. So, you know, really would like to delve a little bit more into your journey, into your pageant journey as, as former Miss Ohio. Of course. So, um, unfortunately at my diagnosis, I was forced to retire from dance and dance was all I knew. Um, I was planning on going to Juilliard, I then wanted to dance with the Paris Opera Ballet, and I was looking for an artistic outlet. I got into acting and film and television, and I was told by different agents and managers that I should not disclose that I have a heart condition because it might make people think uh, that it was dangerous to work with me. And that kind of... um, set off a light in my head. I thought, you know what? I want people to understand heart disease and that it doesn't limit you. You can still live a normal life and you can still accomplish those dreams. So I wanted a platform to talk about this and um, what better platform than a pageant? And uh, I entered this pageant strictly Um, with the goal of having this platform to talk about HCM and show other patients, even if they didn't have HCM or heart disease, um, if they were battling some other kind of disease or some other kind of condition, that no matter what they think might be holding them back, they can still accomplish things if they put their minds to it. How difficult it was for you to to sort of pursue, uh, I I bet there's a training for being on a pageant was was it was was the heart condition an, an impediment when you uh, so did so first of all did you disclose this to um, you know the the pageant association I, I don't know if I'm using the right verbiage or terminology but I'm, I'm assuming there is an association or there is a, um, uh, an organization that accepts applications. Yes, I definitely I disclosed it to the organization. Um, it wasn't a problem. They were. They're very supportive of it. They actually, um, for, there's usually an opening number in pageants where you're kind of walking fast and there's a little dance and they made special accommodations for me. They kind of put me to the side and, uh, just made sure that I wasn't doing anything too strenuous. So, 
they were very, very accommodating. And I was, I was really grateful for that. Yeah. And, and was, was the, was the condition, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is televised, um, you know, part of my ignorance on, on, tele, uh, you know, regarding television in, in general, but I, I'm, I bet this is televised. So was this disclosed to the audience when, when this was televised? Um, they did not. I, I only made the top 15, um, and they did not talk about the heart condition mm-hmm. in the, in the national pageant, in the, the local pageant, I was able to talk about it much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that needs to change at a national level? I mean, do, do you think there needs to be more transparency uh, if someone has an underlying condition? Well, actually, there have been uh, several girls since I competed that um, there there was one who there was one in Minnesota who is just incredible who has Down syndrome. Um, there have been some girls who were deaf. Uh, there have been girls who were dyslexic. There's so many girls that have competed that have things that they thought would otherwise hold them back, but they were still able to get on that stage and do incredible. Yeah, well, you know, kudos to you and kudos to them. And, you know, thanks for uh, the courage and the fearlessness that, that you displayed um, in, in participating in that pageant. Now, tell us a little bit more about the journey following the pageant. I mean, so you got the title for Miss Ohio and what happened afterwards? So I wanted to get more involved in nonprofits. Uh, it's something I had been involved in even before my diagnosis. I used to raise money for the animal shelters in Cleveland by having lemonade stands. Um, I used to help my mom organizing juvenile diabetes events. And I wanted to get more involved in that. Um, and then I started seeing a need for legislation Um, particularly around student athletes like I was. I felt so grateful that I was able to be diagnosed with HCM before I had something catastrophic happen, yet I was seeing headlines constantly of children all over the United States, all over the world, that were collapsing while playing these different sports that, and they had no idea that they had a heart condition and they had previously reported symptoms. There were studies that said 72% of them were reporting symptoms that no one attributed to heart disease. And I wanted to do something about that. So I went on to pass legislation in Ohio called Lindsay's Law, which protects student athletes against sudden cardiac arrest through education of coaches, of parents, and the students themselves on the signs and symptoms to look for of an underlying condition. And if a player exhibits any of those symptoms, they're removed from play until they're examined by a doctor for a heart condition. Wow, that's that's excellent. Uh, and um, when was this legislation uh, passed? What what year was this? Uh, that, I believe that went into effect in two thousand seventeen. Wow, that's what what a story. That's that's just that's all. That's, that's incredible. And and do you think that the the law um, is has a pathway for being implemented on, on a national basis? I'm working on some different things. Um, I've also worked on uh, CPR legislations that make it mandatory to educate high schoolers on how to perform CPR and how to use an AED. I've done that in Ohio and California and working on 
more states, but um, there have been some legislations uh, at a national level that kind of combine that CPR legislation with a Lindsay's Law type legislation that would educate on heart disease. Um, so hopefully we can get something like that passed and, and protect more children. Yeah, well, you know, what, what a story is, uh, you know, more power to you and more energy to you and, you know, more, more blessings to you. Uh, keep doing this incredible work. I, you know, the, I, 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 I think if, if someone can rise above, um, their challenges, which, you know, I, I'm sure you had, and thanks for sharing them with us and, um, sort of, you know, use that as use use those use that platform or use those challenges as a catalyst to to changing the world for for good, uh, you know, for better. Um, you know, compared with how you inherited the world, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. So, um, um, so you know, I I can't thank you enough for doing whatever you've done um, for so many children and and student athletes. Um, and I mean, you've you know, with, with what you've were given, you, you know, you've, you've made, you've made, uh, an incredible difference in, in the lives of many who, you know, whom you wouldn't even know. So I think there's, there's something incredibly special about that. Well, thank you. I honestly, I feel like it was a part of my own healing. There's a really good quote as we work to create light in the lives of others, we naturally light our own way. And I, I kind of feel like that has been proven true in my life. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. Um, what would you like to share uh, more with a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient? I mean, I, I'm sure you're incredibly knowledgeable about your disease condition and about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And, you know, you've happened to work with uh, some of the leaders in the field, including Kari Naidu, who's uh, a mentor and a friend of mine. Um, what would what would you like, um, you know, other hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients or, you know, parents of kids who've got hypertrophic cardiomyopathy to know from, from you as a patient? From a clinical standpoint, I want them to realize how important they are to their own care, how important it is to research their diseases online, to become knowledgeable in them, to talk with other patients, and then to get involved with their physicians. Um, care should not be one size fits all. Um, and I think the more we understand our, our diseases and the more we get involved in the treatment, I think it becomes a much better fit for us and we ensure the best care possible and the best health possible. Um, and from a personal standpoint, um, I thought that life was over at 17. I had my entire life planned out and that rug was kind of pulled out from underneath me. And I want them to know that, that just because they're diagnosed with something does not mean that life is over. There are so many different things that we can be using our skills for. It's just a matter of kind of imagining where you can take things and just applying yourself to those goals. So, um, yeah, I think those would be my two biggest things that I would like to convey to patients. Yeah. Well, excellent, excellent messages. Uh, and thank you for articulating them so well, you know, for our audience. Now, 
Um, what does um, a day in the life of Lindsay Davis looks in 2020 or 2021, I should ask? <laughs> well, in 2020, it's much slower for me. Um, but in 2021, I hope to hit the ground running and um, work on some different legislations. I sit on a legislative committee now um, for an organization, and we have 11 legislations that we are looking to pass at a state level. Um, I'm working with several different biotech companies. Um, I'm on patient advisory boards. Um, and I just hope to continue connecting on a personal level with patients. That's one of the most amazing things for me, um, about social media. Uh, when I was first diagnosed with HCM, I felt so alone. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't think of anyone that has a heart condition except for like someone's grandfather. And with social media, it's been the last few years, it's been incredible to just put an HCM hashtag and then you make friends with someone across the country that has the same condition as you and you're able to discuss um how you feel and give each other tips and tricks to feel better. Um, so I think that's another thing that I would really like to um, focus on in 2021. I'm also, uh, 2021 is going to be uh, a great year uh, because we, Dr. Naidu, who we mentioned earlier, and I are working on a children's book that talks about HCM and kind of educates kids on what it's like to go to the hospital, what different tests mean. Um, because when even at 17, I was confused while I was at the hospital and I was terrified. So to kind of know what's going on and have a better grasp of it, um, I think will be incredibly soothing for children. So um that's probably the thing I'm most excited about in 2021. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. Look, I, I know Dr. Naidu um, is a people's person and um, he, um, you know, wants to brighten up uh, wherever he is, you know, brighten up the, um, the room, brighten up the, the conference podium, <laughs> uh, brighten up the cath lab, brighten up the hospital, the hallways. Uh, I, he's that kind of a person and, and I have a lot of respect for him because of, because of the kind of person he is. Um, so, you know, it comes, to, it's not, it's not a surprise to me that he's, uh, you know, taken on, um, a project, uh, of this, of this nature. And, you know, uh, it's, it's incredible that you're doing this with him. Uh, I don't think, uh, there could be a better synergy between the two of you, you know, now having learned about you and, uh, and learned about your journey and how you sort of, um, utilized, um, your condition to, um, you know, transform the world for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, kids, athletes, and patients into a better world. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, more power to both of you. And I, I can't wait to actually get a copy of that book whenever that's released. <laughs> so, you know, do, do keep me posted. I'm, I'm sure he's gonna, I'm sure he's gonna tag me on his, his posts, which, <laughs> which, which he kindly does all the time. He, he posts something on, on Facebook or, or, or Twitter you know, for that matter. Um, um, any, any closing, uh, remarks or comments, Lindsay, uh, and, and, you know, again, you know, thank you for your transparency or vulnerability and, you know, your capacity to share your own journey, which, you know, was not easy. 
uh, it, it's never easier. It's it's never easy to to sort of share your vulnerabilities uh, on a social platform like this. So I, I thank you, genuinely thank you from the bottom of my heart. I commend you for your spirit and and for um, you know all that you've done uh, for uh, for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Any closing remarks? Thank you so much. Um, in regards to closing remarks, um, maybe just like. A note to physicians, um, I've been to many different hospitals all over the country, and for the most part, most physicians um, are very open to kind of talking with me and deciding a treatment path together for whatever I might be experiencing. Um, but I have run into maybe one or two that kind of have the philosophy, uh, like, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. Um, I think it's important for physicians to know that patients are not just like doing a quick, shallow search of Google on our disease. And we are taking lots of time to research our disease and to understand our disease. We're talking with other patients. We're getting information from anywhere that we can. And um, I think it's important for physicians to keep that in mind, that we are experts in our diseases and in our bodies. And um, it's always helpful to listen um, and to kind of listen to our concerns to, to help ensure the best personalized care that we possibly can. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually an excellent message. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's important. And it's something which, uh, you know, we strive for also is to you know, just, um, you know, listen to the patient and, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, keep saying to ourselves, you know, believe it or not, I, I, I want to speak on the behalf of, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, my colleagues at the Cleveland clinic, you know, it's patients first and, you know, we are here because of our patients and, uh, you know, we want to listen to our patients and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the kind of experience that you had, uh, you know, with us at the Cleveland Clinic. Always. No, thank you. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that, that was the answer. Um, um, but no, I, you know, that's, uh, that's an extremely important message for all of us as physicians. You know, we have to pay heed to patient preferences and, and patient experiences and, and have to empower physicians to be, you know, the voices for their disease conditions. And, you know, in part, this episode is, is just an example of that. So again, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on board and being so responsive on text messages and, and Facebook. And, you know, I'm glad that we could do this. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a complete pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. 
You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.